The following is a sermon podcast from White Ridge Baptist Church. Amen. How good it is to be together and hear you singing. Uh, my name is Terry Jank. I'm one of the pastors here. I get to do most of the preaching and teaching, which is my joy. And, and uh, we're in a, a, a realignment series in this month. And one of the worst things that can happen to a teacher-preacher is it happened to me yesterday. I was having lunch, and I bit my tongue. And I don't mean figuratively. I mean, I really bit my tongue. So if I happen to sound like I've uh, got something wrong, it's just, just receive it as, as it is. Uh, so, would you pray with me? God, I thank you that uh, you can loose my tongue to speak your word today, and you can open our ears and our hearts to receive what you have to say. And I believe, God, that the purpose of this sermon is that you would heal relationships. And so, Father, would you come, Holy Spirit, and and just have your way with that in each life, in each family, each marriage, each friendship. Lord, wherever you want to do that, Would you heal relationships? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So in our realignment series this month, we've acknowledged the fact that uh, churches need realignment just like uh, cars on their wheels and just like our spines, and we need realignment too. And last week we studied the most important commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength. And we saw that that is supreme overall, that that was the most important. We saw the difference last week of the love or the value that we assign to things and the value that is inherent in those things. We saw that last week when we talked about the fact and and we, we realized as well that When it comes to God, who is supreme, therefore it's logical that God deserves our supreme love. He is of infinite worth, and therefore He should be our highest love. But because of our brokenness to to sin, our our pride, our, our fears, our insecurities, we tend to have misaligned affections. We have other loves that sneak ahead of God. And so, instead of living really true lives of God first and all the things in their places, we have distortion. We have, we live distorted lives. And if you really understand that, you know that when you live a distorted life in that area, you become an idolater. You become an idolater, putting something else above the supreme value and infinite worth of the living God who is your Creator and your Redeemer. And so, that's why God sent His Son. God sent His Son because He knows we're broken. He knows we have distortion. He knows we have misaligned affections. He knows that our hearts are twisted and messed up. He knows that we're so self-oriented that we fear so much and that He needs to come and redeem us. And once that redemption takes place, as He starts to work His sanctifying grace in our lives, we actually get twisted right. We actually get realigned. 
with His purposes. And so we talked last week about this vertical, supreme relationship with God, and only when that is corrected can we really start to address the horizontal loves of our lives. And we've got to get it right that way. So our first alignment vertically enables us then to address horizontal alignments. I was disturbed this past week to find out that the magnetic North Pole is not as fixed as I thought it might be. Some of you might have seen that on the news. Apparently, scientists have told us that the North Pole is is moving. It used to be about 30 years ago, it was five or so kilometers going north towards Siberia per year. Now it's going up to 50 kilometers per year, and it's having, it's causing everybody to have to adjust things that are related. It has nothing to do with Santa, by the way. Okay, don't blame him. And, and to me, that's a very interesting thing. The magnetic North Pole is moving, moving closer to Siberia. And to me, it points to one of the biggest dilemmas that we face, especially in our generation. We set our bearings on something that we have treated as an absolute. We set our bearings on something that we think is, that never changes. The North Pole is the North Pole. But we can't sing true north, strong and free anymore without this doubt in our minds is not so true anymore, is it? And, 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 and so we do that with so many things, we call it an absolute, and then we realize it's not absolute. A case in point is the laws of our land. So for so many years, decades, generations past, we treated the laws of our land as our moral compass. We can't do that anymore because you see, what was once legal is, is now illegal. What was once illegal is now legal. We can't treat the laws of our land as absolute. And see, there's only one absolute, and He is God. He is the one the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's the changeless one. He is the one who is faithful, dependable, steady, unchanging. We were created by Him, for Him, to bring Him glory. He's the only thing that our bearings should be set on. Him and His Word, because what He says is just like Him. He says, he says the flowers will fade and the grass will wither, but My Word will stand forever. That's why we preach God's Word. That's why we believe what He says. And so, He is our bright star. He is our guiding light. He is, I was going to say, our true north, but I can't use that anymore. And so, now in the passage that we look at today, we want to move on to these more horizontal loves, which are absolutely still dependent on us keeping God in His place. The first one I want to talk to you about today, Jesus added to his first and greatest commandment. He just said, and the second one is like it, love your neighbor like you love yourself. So love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then secondly, love your neighbor, the horizontal one, as you love yourself. And that is what I want to talk about beginning today and for the next few Sundays. And to to begin with this realignment, I want to take us to an Old Testament passage of Scripture, the book of Micah. And in the book of Micah, his name means, who is like God? 
His name means who is like God. And he's a prophet during the 8th century before Christ. And uh, he was a prophet during the reign of three kings of Judah. The kings' names were Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah. And uh, if you've read Old Testament history, you know that that the way that Kings and Chronicles go through the history is they summarize uh, the reign of each king. And it's kind of almost like a formula. It says, so-and-so died. His son succeeded him as king. He was this old when he began to reign. He reigned this many years. His mother's name was this. He did either, either evil or good in the eyes of the Lord, and, and he died. And then his son succeeded him as king. And da, da, da. It's like a formula. And that's exactly what Kings and Chronicles does with these kings of Judah that reigned during the prophecy and the ministry of Micah. So let me just read to you just from Kings and Chronicles. This is what it says. Uzziah died. Jotham, his son, succeeded him as king. He was 25 years old when he reigned. 16 years he reigned. His mother's name was Jerusha. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord according to his father Uzziah. He dies. Ahaz, his son, son of Jotham, comes into kingdom, 20 years, he reigns, he's, he, uh, he's 20 years old when he comes, uh, reigns 16 years, no mention of his mother, he did not do what was right in the eyes of the Lord, in fact, it goes on to talk about how he followed false worship idols, he burned his sons as sacrifices to false gods, he dies, and then Hezekiah, his son, son of Ahaz, one that didn't get burned and sacrificed, comes, and he, at 25 years old, Hezekiah becomes king. He reigns 29 years. His mother's name was Abby, and he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. Now, it's incredible. If you've read the Old Testament history, you see that there's this one king shaping influences in his life, cause him to follow the Lord. Another king shaping influences in his life, cause him to follow the world around him. And I, I don't understand it. It's just here it is. In, in Israel, in the northern kingdom of Israel, it's almost all evil kings. In the southern kingdom of Judah, it's good king, bad king, good king, bad king. It's incredible how sobering it is to think that that's the summary of the life lived. You see, when we find, we don't find that God is indecisive when it comes to judgment, do we? I mean, if you've read this book, you don't find that God is indecisive when it comes to final judgment. And the sobering thing is that the same kind of summary that is given to these kings is going to be given to our lives one day as well. And it seems like there's just two options. Did evil in the eyes of the Lord? Did good in the eyes of the Lord? And the deciding factor, the final analysis, the opinion that matters is it's in the eyes of the Lord doesn't matter what you are like or who you are like in your own eyes. doesn't matter what you are like or who you are like in the eyes of others. You can call yourself a prophet or a priest or a pastor or a reverend or a doctor. You can call yourself a charismatic, a Calvinist, an Arminian, a dispensationalist, an evangelical, a Baptist. I don't care what you call yourself and I don't care what other people call you. What matters is who are you in the eyes of the Lord? That's the only opinion that's going to matter in the end. In fact, someone said it this way, if God is pleased with us, it doesn't matter who we displease. And if God is displeased with us, it doesn't matter who we please. 
It's true. In the end, that's what matters. According to Micah, Micah believed that what pleases God could be summarized with three words. And he summarized it in a way that is basically saying, this is what pleases God. You want to know what pleases God? Do you want to know what God requires of you? He said, this is what God requires of you. Do justice, love mercy, and walk humbly. I'd like you to read the Scripture with me this morning, and if you're able to stand, could you stand now? And let's read Micah chapter 6 and verses 6 to 8, and it'll be on the screen for us now. Read with me in unison. With what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before God on high? Shall I come before Him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with ten thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He has told you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you. James Montgomery Boyce said about this scripture that it is a word for people who are willing to do all sorts of religious things but are not willing to do what is needful. And folks, as a church, we don't want to do a whole bunch of good things. We don't want to be about doing all the religious things. We want to be doing what is needful. And what is needful is described in these three words that we're going to unpack this morning. If you're able to stay for lunch today, I would, I would love that. We've got lots of food, and we're going to be putting tables up starting at the back as soon as the benediction comes. And um, our, our, our annual general meeting is an important time, but if you were to open our Constitution, and we're not going to do that today at our annual general meeting, but if you were to open our Constitution of our church, you would find a vision statement. Now, a vision statement is the, the big one. It's the one that's up there in the clouds under which all other statements need to be defined. And in our vision statement, we say, it says this, WRBC seeks to be a family of believers who act justly, love mercy, and walk humbly with our God, making disciples of Jesus Christ in our families, friendships, neighborhoods, and among people of all cultures. So that's the big statement. And then underneath that statement, in the last nine years, we have had a mission statement that fits and submits to that vision statement. And our mission statement, which is printed out there on the wall, is to make and nurture followers of Jesus Christ through healthy relationships. Whether those relationships are in marriage, in family life, with kids and parents, with our neighbors, with cross-cultural relationship, or whatever it is. And so you can see that these, re, re, these two statements reflect that God is a relational God, that God is a personal God, and that relationships matter to God. So much so that we believe here that the best way, the, the cultured environment that we want to create everywhere that is best for someone to finally bow the knee and come to Christ is healthy relationships, wherever that is. 
And see, the problem is that there are three things, at least, maybe many more, but there are three things that get in the way of healthy relationships. One is when there's not justice or fairness. One is when there's not mercy or loving kindness. And one is when people are not walking humbly with God. See, these will get in the way of healthy relationship and of people coming to Christ. Now in chapter 6, when Micah was writing this, he begins chapter 6 by saying that the Lord has a controversy, or some translations say indictment, against His people. Pretty, pretty major thing if God has a controversy with you. And he goes on to say that if it's going to get fixed, these are the three things that you must do. You must learn to do justice and love mercy and walk humbly. Let's just unpack those three concepts before we bring it to application. So doing justice, first of all, somebody has, has described it as justice is getting what you deserve and mercy is getting what you don't deserve. It's a very good definition. And I am so thankful that in my relationship with God, He does not give me justice. What I deserve, my sin, would condemn me before a holy God. I instead, because of His Son, Jesus Christ, get mercy, what I don't deserve. It's incredible that He treats me like a son. Though I had been a slave to sin, He treats me like a son. I am His son, His child. You are His son or daughter if you've come to Christ. Micah has been called prophet to the poor in some situations because he confronted injustices wherever they were happening. There were rich people exploiting the poor. This is among Judah, God's people. The rich were exploiting the poor. There was dishonest practices. The law courts were corrupted. Enslavement was happening. And bribing of judges was going on. And so in Micah's day, what Micah was addressing was that the whole, the whole system was broken. We're not just talking about isolated little injustices going on. The whole system was broken. It was systemic. Justice has been described as a hand up and mercy as a hand out. But that's a little oversimplified when you understand that the whole system was broken. That the poor and those that did not know somebody would not get a fair shake no matter how it worked. And so we ought to be angry at the things that anger God. That's what justice means, I think. It means that you get angry with the things that anger God. St. Augustine said that hope has two beautiful daughters Anger at the way things are and courage to work for change. We're meant to be agents of change starting right where we live and being angry at the things that God would get angry at. Secondly, the word mercy is the word in Hebrew, hesed, which is an incredibly big word in the Old Testament. It has to do with God's loving kindness. Uh, it's in expressed When it's expressed this way, horizontally, it, it means mercy as it relates to the lowly, the needy, and the suffering. So when we think about it that way, I think the New Testament counterpart is reflected when, you remember that scripture when it says that Jesus looked upon the crowds and he felt compassion, 
because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Mercy is aroused when someone is helpless. And the word for compassion in that Greek text where Jesus is spoken of, it says it's, it's this, it's the word splenizomai where we get our word spleen. Some old translations used to say that the bowels of mercy are moved within him. And so there's this deep sense that when you see somebody who does not have a voice for themselves, who does not speak up for themselves, who is helpless and they cannot defend themselves, something then comes into play that is mercy. Mercy and justice have been compared to the, the man that's walking by the river and he sees people drowning and he, he keeps on pulling them out. That's mercy, helping someone who's drowning. But justice is saying, finally, I'm going up river and I'm going to find out what is making them fall in the river. Who's pushing them in? You see, maybe that's the way we can understand justice and mercy. I was thinking of my sermon this morning, and I, and I really want to not go way out there on the international scale and think of social justice and mercy. We need to be there, and I'm so glad we have voices within our own congregation that keep reminding us of some of that, but I really believe we need to get it here too. And I was thinking about in my elementary school days that there was a couple of what I would now look back and call them bullies. There was a couple of bullies, and um, I think so much, you know, my, my favorite Christmas movie is The Christmas Story, A Christmas Story. Have you seen that? You know, Ralphie, he wants a Red Ryder BB gun. You've got to see that movie. If you haven't seen that movie, you haven't celebrated Christmas. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> now, in, in that movie, there are two little villains, the arch enemies of Ralphie and his friends and his brother. And the guy's, chief guy's name is, I love his name, is Scott Farkas. And Scott Farkas is a fairly big boy, but his sidekick, whose name is Grover Dill, is a little guy that Ralphie could have beat up no problem. But everybody's intimidated because of big Scott Farkas. And that's like the two bullies that we had in my elementary school. And I won't tell you their names in case that somewhere they're... <laughs> Not that I'm afraid of them. I could take them both on. No, I'm just... <laughs> but, but these two guys, they, they had this, this intimidating, bullying presence. And I remember one time, it was in Jim B, before the homeroom bell rang, and we were playing basketball, and nothing that they did really aroused me or caused me angst until it, they did it to me. And, and, and I just remember turning around to the one, the little guy, and, and I, I slugged him. And then I remembered my Sunday school class, and I turned the other cheek, and so I went up to him and I apologized, and I said, okay, you can hit me now. And he really hit me. <laughs> so, but the thing that I, that I pondered this morning was, I saw those two bullies pick on a couple of guys in my class, and I just sat quietly. And then it was me that they picked on, and I was aroused to vengeance. You see, do we love justice, and do we love mercy, 
Or do we love our own comfort? Just not in my backyard, not in my life, you know. I was convicted of that. Now, these two things, justice and mercy, come together. Why and how? Because we have a people who are walking humbly with God. That's what happens. So, so justice is getting angry at what God gets angry at. Mercy is being moved by that which moves the heart of God. And then the two come together when we walk humbly with God. Our sense of justice should rise out of what gets angry for God gets angry at. Our sense of mercy should be aroused by the compassion Jesus has. And walking humbly with God is to know what angers Him and what moves Him to compassion. And your sense of justice, though you think you might have a really good sense of justice, I say to you, unless you're walking humbly with God, it is a distorted sense of justice. And your sense of mercy is a distorted sense of mercy unless you're walking humbly with Jesus. Without this kind of realignment, justice, mercy, and humility will be self-serving. We will face difficulties on this earth. Jesus promised it. He said, in this world you will have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. Someone said, we don't need a prosperity theology. We need an adversity theology. You see, what are you going to do when life gets hard? What are you going to do when justice does not happen for you, but it seems to happen for others? What happens when others get mercy, but you don't get mercy? That's when you don't need a prosperity theology, folks. If you're going to be in the trenches and walk with Jesus as a discipled Christian, you're going to need an adversity theology. One that will actually stand the test of a real world and the kind of things that you're going to face. If you think that living for the Lord means that it somehow is going to get easier, you are going to wake up one day to the fact that it's not that way. Now as we bring this all to a, a conclusion and an application, I just want to share a few thoughts with you. I read an article not too long ago that called Winnipeg the city of bridges. Now, the reason that that article was a little bit um, new in the author's eyes, or that title was new in the author's eyes, was because up until that time, Saskatoon was known in Canada as the city of bridges. Now, when we ask why, well, the article explains that, of course, Winnipeg has four big rivers, I guess, you, if you don't count LaSalle, because it kind of joins with the red before it enters the city, so if we count the three main rivers, the Red River, the Assiniboine, and the Seine River, plus a handful of creeks, there are actually 43 bridges within the city limits of Winnipeg that can take vehicles across. There's other bridges that are walk bridges. 43 bridges compared to Saskatoon's little seven bridges. <laughs> now, I hope nobody's from Saskatoon here. <laughs> and, 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 and I just got thinking about the importance of bridges. To me, bridges are a, a symbol and a, an analogy of relationships. Because you know yourself, the relationships that are in your life, just like every bridge, you'll see the weight restriction of that bridge. You know that you have relationships that have weight restriction. You have tested the capacity of vulnerability or of risking or of telling the truth 
in that relationship and you've seen, ooh, I'm not sure it can bear this weight. Right? The other thing that I think bridges are like relationships in the sense, in the very obvious sense, that they carry people toward each other that have been separated by something prior to that. Now, what is it that separates relationships? It's when something is done and it's not fair. It's an injustice done. It's when something is done and there's no mercy. It's like, no, you screw up once with me and that's it. This relationship is over. It's when people are not in humility walking it out with God and with others. These are the things. Now, I know that you could say, you could, you could look in the wake of your history and you could say, well, that relationship ended because of this issue and that issue. And you'd name it. You'd name the content of that issue. But you know what? I bet you there's a lot in there that has to do with the fact that there was not justice, there was not mercy, and there was not humility. Don't lose yourself in the issues that are really underneath. And so... You can think of a relationship that you have been in that's been unhealthy. I would ask you to do an inventory, maybe a, a little diagnostic test. Think about, has there been something unfair, perceived as unfair, happen to, to cause hurt in that relationship? Has there been something perceived that is, is not merciful or forgiving or loving has there been something perceived that says you're proud, you're, you're, you're not walking humbly? Is there a need for forgiveness, asking for forgiveness or being forgiven? If we were to take the analogy a little farther, since we're in the Winnipeg River system, let's talk about the Forks. The Forks is a meeting place. It's been that way for hundreds of years. The Forks were a trading center for the indigenous peoples hundreds of years ago, followed by European fur traders, Scottish settlers, railway pioneers, and since then a myriad of immigrants. The Forks get over 4 million visitors per year, and it takes 1,200 workers to manage good relationship and marketing on that place every year. And I think the Forks is a great picture of a meeting place where the two rivers of justice and mercy meet up, right? The Red River and the Assiniboine. These two rivers meet up. Justice and mercy have to meet up. And that's where good relationship can happen. In relationship. And isn't the church meant to be that place? Isn't the church meant to be a place where connections happen? We find real relationships. People that are new to the city that don't have connection, don't have family, don't have a network of people. Can they not come to a church in Winnipeg and find friendship, find, find relationship, find justice and mercy and help? That's my hope. See, we should be the place where justice and mercy meet up and we walk humbly with God. I just want to share with you a few things that Kevin was referring to earlier. If you go to the Resource Center afterwards, you'll find the Connecting Points brochure is there. You have an opportunity there to connect with all kinds of programs and, and people. That's what it's about, is connecting in relationship. If you're, if you're lonely, if you're newer in the city, you know an American uh, Sociological Review did a survey in 1985 asking people about close friends and most people in 1985 claimed to have on average three close friends, okay? Three close friends, that's on average. 
21 years later in 2006, they did the same interview survey, 1,500 people. Nearly one quarter of the 1,500 participants had no confidants in their lives, no one that they could open up and share with. And a full half of the whole group reported having maybe one or two close friends. What did they conclude? They conclude that for all the advancements in communication since 1985, we're still getting lonelier. We need to be the forks of Winnipeg. We need to be the place where healing comes in relationships. I want to encourage you about the uh, Interact group. Pastor Kevin talked about it. We uh, talked about how this is a place to explore the meaning of faith. Uh, bring your friends. This is an opportunity to meet. And uh, English Conversation Circle starting this week as well. I'm so excited about that every, every year. I love, I love it when we do that. We get to new, new friendships, helping people that are new to Canada. Some of them have come to faith in Christ. It's wonderful. And so as we conclude, I'm going to have the worship team come. And uh, may the Lord bless us as we seek to be the ones who do justice, the ones that God can count on to love mercy, and the ones that walk humbly with him. God bless you. Lord God, thank you for meeting us here today. Thank you for the word that we've heard today. I thank you, Lord, that even though we get ourselves in so many jams relationally with people, because of our pride, because of our, our sense of not being treated justly, because of bitterness, all of those things, the things that we think we're entitled about, even though we get into those jams, you are always, always there. You are always present for us to look to you to help us to see and to love as you see and love. And wow, if, if we were to live like that more consistently, what a beautiful thing it would be. I pray that you would help us to love one another with the kind of love that you have for us the kind of grace that you have for us. Help us to be merciful and, and just and humble. And then let that spill out of our church, Lord, to the world around us, that they would experience love like that from us. And when they come in these doors or where they see us in relationship, that they would see that that's how we love one another. All of this, Lord, is, is not something that we can do ourselves. In fact, we do a really good job of not doing those things ourselves. We need you, Lord, to change us and to help us with, with all of that. So I pray that you would. And I pray, God, that you would bless the rest of this day to your glory. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.